Two Chocolate Cakes is a story of two cakes, bookended at the beginning of one life and at the end of another, and all the culinary and emotional layers in between those moments. The Best Box Lunch I worked for my father's landscaping company for all my winter breaks during college and for several summers. He had a small crew of gardeners and lawnmowers stationed on Fishers Island, New York, and every morning when it wasn't raining, we drove, usually in separate trucks because he liked to be there a good hour before the ferry even began selling tickets, to New London to catch the boat to the island. He paid me less than the other gardeners, even though it was more qualified than his other workers. So to make up for it, he would buy me a cup of tea with two sugars and milk and two glazed donuts, which he passed to me out his truck window as I trudged up the boat ramp at 6.30 in the morning. He said he paid me less and worked me harder to make a point that he didn't want to pay, play favorites. He also pulled out the old chestnut that everyone else had a family to support, and because they were Hard to hire folks, what with being fresh out of jail or newly sober, they needed the money. I could not argue with that. I don't know how he reconciled the donut handoff, however. I put my five-gallon joint compound bucket, neatly packed with my hand tools, garden sprays, and fertilizers in the back of his truck as he waited to back it onto the ferry. My lunchbox went back there too, but I carried my hat and my backpack, which usually had a book or two in it, a bathing suit, a towel, some sunscreen, and a change of clothes, as well as my Sony Walkman and several tapes. I had to carry clean clothes because I had a habit of getting so muddy and dirty that Dad was embarrassed to see me on the ferry ride home. If I hadn't had a chance to jump in a pool or the ocean before heading down to the island at the end of the day, he'd make me wash up in the bathroom at the ferry district office before the other contractors queued up for the 45-minute journey back to New London. On the ferry, I usually sat with Linda, Dad's longest full-time employee, and the rest of the crew and the other caretakers who also worked on this island split down the middle of wealth and service. We would exchange funny client stories, trade red thread survival tactics, and gossip about the other landscapers and laborers on the island. On rough sea mornings, I rode outside the cabin, anxiously sucking on a peppermint lifesaver, thankful for the spray of the choppy water as my stomach churned with the rocky boat. Once we hit land, I moved my lunchbox and tools from my father's truck to my own tattered pickup that you had to start with a screwdriver because the keys had been lost so long ago, and drove the length of the island to the job where I spent most of my 40 hours. The estate gardens were immense and beautiful, and for hours at a time, I simply weeded or pruned and trimmed the grass paths with hand shears or scratched special fertilizer mixed with Epsom salts into the roots of the roses. Once a day, I would pick an armload of flowers and bring them up to the kitchen, and I always liked cleaning the pool, which was right next to the garden. By Friday, I was finished, and on Mondays, I started all over again. My father enjoyed working in the mornings with me. We didn't talk much, just clipped and deadheaded the flower garden or harvested the beans or carrots or peas. We took our coffee break together. 
He bought the coffee or tea, and I reached into my immense lunchbox for a few cookies or a muffin or a banana that we shared. On foggy days, we often walked down to the ocean, the mist washing the dirt off our faces and hands. On nice days, we sometimes slipped out of our boots and slid our feet into the pool. After coffee, he usually had to visit the other sites, but most often he returned at lunch with a few cold Cokes. I always packed a couple of extra peanut butter sandwiches for him, even though the housemaids of the estate made him a full plate whenever they saw him coming. They always thought he was too skinny. We'd connect again at the boat and catch up on the afternoon's events and the ride the ferry home. My father and I spent a lot of time that summer I turned 21. He was very supportive when I turned up after my semester at college needing a quick and easy job because I was not back, asked back at the resort. Even after that first month when I spent my mornings under the shade of the big elm with a cloth on my forehead, weak and sick to my stomach in the mornings, until that doctor's appointment that revealed I was pregnant, he told everyone at work I had mono and that I would be out for a week or so. My mother was so angry she couldn't even look at me. So Kay swept in and took me to the clinic in Hartford. While my mother worked her usual evening shift at the halfway house, Dad came home from work with stories of who mowed what over and the usual ferry boat gossip. He had been staying overnight on the island at least two nights a week, but during this time, he stayed home with me. Once I went back to the work, he invited me to accompany him with my truck out to the Cape to pick up a load of trees and shrubs. It was a Tuesday night when he told me that we'd be heading to the nursery in the morning and my mother was working late. I went to bed before she came home and my father was working in his office above the garage and we were up and out the door in the morning at 4 a.m. We drove out to the Cape, loaded up and stopped for breakfast on the way home. We discussed his traffic and the weather and then got back in our trucks and drove the two and a half hours to the ferry where we unloaded our trees on a pallet and sent them over on the noon boat. Dad was tired and gave the rest of us the both gave both of us the rest of the day off. At home, as we were putting our bungee cords and tarps in the garage, he turned to me and said, "I'm leaving your mother. We discussed it last night. I don't love her anymore. I'm moving out tonight, but right now I have a terrible headache and I'm going to take a nap." And he turned and walked into the house, past the shattered remains of the turtle sculpture he had given her for their anniversary just a few months earlier. I walked into the house, numb, and stepped over the broken glass from his favorite sailboat painting lying on the floor in the dining room and changed out of my work clothes. I sat in the living room with the cat and pretended to read the newspaper. I could hear my father opening drawers in my parents' bedroom. I unpacked my uneaten lunch and put the sandwiches and sodas in the fridge for tomorrow and my juice boxes back in the freezer. I wiped out the inside of my lunchbox and refolded the napkin that lined the box. I waited for my father to walk over to his garage office where he had a couch he could stretch out on, and I got back into my truck and I drove around until the little orange light lit up on the dashboard, warning me that my gas tank was near empty, finally stopping at the rocks, where Mrs. Rock could tell something was wrong but didn't ask. She made me a plate of supper, and we listened to the birds and the peepers as the sun set. And then I went home and went to bed before my mother came home. Dad's red trek was already gone. The best box lunch. Two bologna or honey ham sandwiches with American cheese, lettuce, and mayonnaise on oatmeal bread. Two peanut butter, super crunchy, and strawberry jam sandwiches on oatmeal bread. 
Two bananas on very hot days bring four bananas for the potassium. One sleeve of fig newtons. Two oranges or apples. Three or four juice boxes frozen overnight keeps food cool in lunchbox while they thaw. Two Cokes. Two napkins. Bonus. Two pieces of mom's chocolate cake with buttercream frosting. Thank you for listening. For more information about the recipes you've heard here, including author notes, photos, secret tips, and more, please visit twochocolatecakes.com. That's two, the word two, chocolatecakes.com. <laughs>